0: All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Freel, and uh, got a guest on the phone here today that I've been wanting to get on for quite a while. Uh, Lewis Cusack. I've uh, been following Lewis and his wife and his vent and their adventures together for yeah, quite a few years now, huh, Lewis.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, over five anyway.
0: Yeah, you guys. Uh, now, I don't know. I guess first time on the show why don't you give me a little background i mean it's it's been several years i've been following your guys' um hunts you guys did some tv stuff for a while i think um but sorts. yeah you know yeah go ahead
1: yeah i mean you know i got into hunting a long time ago i hunted with my father down in louisiana and you know i i grew up dreaming about Alaska, watching Kurt Gowdy and the American sportsman on television, you know, and I never really thought I'd actually end up here, you know, and, Mm -hmm. uh, I worked in the oil fields and in 1986, I ended up, uh, working in Alaska and, you know, my whole life changed then because, you know, everything I ever wanted to do was suddenly right in front of me, you know, which is, you know, remote wilderness hunting for lack of better ways to put it and fishing. And, uh, you know, I moved up, and you know, I, I started hunting, and I was working a two weeks on, two weeks off schedule, and I ended up in Canada hunting with a friend of mine, and and uh, you know, we had a TV show there, and we started filming and stuff, and from that point, I kind of got into the filming piece, and you know, I do quite a bit on you. I used to do quite a bit on YouTube, and uh, had a pretty good following, and uh, you know, that kind of led me into, you know being one of the co-hosts of Last Outdoor Television Show for a little while. Yeah. You know, we've always, my wife and I, you know, and, you know, I met Ruth in 2006, and then, you know, her and I started hunting together almost exclusively, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I've always had a passion for remote wilderness stuff, and and you've known me a while now, and, you know, we, we hunt, for where we hunt as much as for what we hunt, you know, oh, you know yeah. for us it's, it's more about getting out and, and and being out and staying out for a long time in, in a real remote place and, and just, you know, seeing the country and living that lifestyle, as well as you know having the opportunity to uh, to have the luxury of taking some really nice animals while we're there.
0: Oh yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> you guys got quite a few have quite a few mountain goats hanging up in your house. That's kind of been that's been one of your. You, <laughs> You and roost things, huh?
1: Yeah, you know we we love hunting. You know, probably our 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 two biggest passions is is hunting mountain goats and then hunting hunting moose. You know, late in late in the season, you know, right in the middle of the rut, yeah. By as remote as we get, and um, you know, really, if I could only do one thing, it would probably be the moose hunt. Mm-hmm. But as long as I can do two, it's going to be the moose hunt and the mountain goat <coughs> hunting. Yeah. Moose. <laughs> you know, a lot of it. A lot of it. You know, you, you know, it's what we have dialed in really well, and, and it's what her and I can accomplish on our own. Yeah, pretty well. You, you know, husband and wife team taking on, uh, taking two moves can be quite the effort. You know. Oh, but for sure. But if you dial it into the right spot, you know, and, and you wait for the right circumstances, then it's it's easily doable.
0: Yeah. Well, and I know, think
1: I think that. Remote
0: I was gonna say, and I think that. Uh... That's a big deal for, you know, everyone that's very successful, what they do up here. Seems like they really, you know, they. a lot of people like to do a lot of different stuff, me included, but you usually have one or two things that you really dial in on and you you frankly most of us don't have the time to get dialed in on everything you just you know there's just so much but uh you guys that's that's one thing and i want to get into in a little bit had some questions for you um as float hunting for moose you guys consistently do really well looks like you have awesome time and get some really nice bulls
1: yeah you know i always say hunting's kind of like real estate you know what i mean like you you know, you talk to a real estate broker, and they'll tell you real estate's all about location. You know, location, 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 and, and uh, you know that, that, that's that's a a key point, right? I mean, anybody can be a great hunter in a great hunting spot. Yeah. And you know what? What we've done is is you know over the years we found a couple of spots uh, that produce good moose. I mean, there's other places you can go and see a lot more moose. Don't don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but. At the end of the day, we know where the moose walk. We know when they walk. And and, and most importantly of all, I think, is that we know the area well enough to know that, hey, if I don't see a moose today, that doesn't mean the moose I want to shoot won't be here. You know, once the rut kicks in and they start walking, that moose is going to show up. And and a lot of it is just having the patience to be there when they show up. And, And, you know, I mean, you find a lot of different animals as well you know a lot of times that's that's a, a big critical step it's 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 not being in the right place it's being in the right place at the right time and that takes
0: patience oh yeah which i'm gonna note that down i want to circle back to the moose hunting because i think before we get too sidetracked i wanted to well I, and we talked about this before um i you know saw you back in february when it was the s the alaska sci banquet mm-hmm. i think and i i did a a presentation on sheep hunting down there and we'd been talking back and forth. I wanted to hear more about specifically the Alaska chapter of Safari Club International. Um, You've been very involved with them for quite a few years. And uh, I don't know, we had mentioned probably if (laughs) it's like S you know, the each organization has its own image, you know, some of them have, I think some of them have an image problem of thinking they, they portray the image that they're doing all sorts of great stuff and they're really not. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and from what, from talking to you, it sounds like, you know, Safari club to a lot of people just has the image of just like rich fat white guys that just get carted around Africa and blast stuff. But, uh, when really you know i mean why why don't you get into that like all the stuff so you know yeah. i guess your background with safari club and all the stuff that they actually do because it's pretty impressive the amount of money they put back into conservation and you um, standing up for for hunters in general
1: yeah you know it's um it's one of those things where you know it's the company you keep in in a lot of cases and you know we had some friends that were actively involved in s c i and they invited us to go to a meeting once and that that's kind of how you know our our whole effort towards s c i kind of kind of started it was just an invite from a friend, which is the way a lot of stuff starts right mm-hmm. and and up until that point, I was like other people when you hear safari club you know international Alaska chapter, you know you start thinking Africa, you start thinking rich guys flying across in their lear just and shooting a bunch of animals and and that's not the case at all, and and you know if there's one message that you know that I could send the folks, it would be that you know SCI and uh, the Alaska chapters, both the Alaska chapter, which is the statewide chapter, and the Kenai chapter, which is another chapter or a segment of SCI International, you know, do more in the state than any other organization to support hunters' rights and to support wildlife conservation. You know we uh, and, and you know, we, we do a ton of different things, both with youth organizations and with, uh, you probably heard of it, Becoming an Outdoor Woman program.
0: Yeah, I've heard that. Heard of that.
1: It's the Winter Workshop. I mean, several of us on, on the board actually uh, actually teach at the workshop. You know, we support it with funding. You know, we raise, you know, we, we do part of our banquet funding goes towards funding to Becoming the Outdoor Women's program. I'm actually uh, supporting another organization it's uh it's the uh outdoor heritage foundation that's actually uh running a bison raffle right now i think you might have even bought some tickets for it but yeah a lot of funds from that don't talk well
0: raffle. i was gonna say don't, uh, it's i have mixed feelings because i say don't talk about it so people don't so i have better chances but <laughs> you really should go <laughs> go support that yeah. i mean like i guess before we move on that's and you can get to that it's they're having a raffle for the, the basically the Delta Bison governor's tag for next season, I think
1: Oh, it's for this year. Oh, for, oh, for
0: this. Yeah. This, this coming, this 2019, 2020, but weren't you saying it's basically with the number of tickets, it's going to be better odds than the draw. Right. And it's only like you get three tickets for 25 bucks. I want to say.
1: Yeah. It's three tickets for 25 bucks. And at, you know, it, it, we're selling up to three thousand tickets, but you know historically that you know they' sell it they sell less than two thousand and you know hopefully uh hopefully this year we'll sell all three thousand tickets but you know if you if you buy six tickets you beat the draw and you save ten bucks on what it would cost you to put in for the same uh for the same six draws you yep. know, during a normal drawing period so it's, it's actually cheaper than the state draw yeah and, and the odds you know, and there's no limit to how many tickets you can buy either. So, you know, you it, 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 it improve your odds by however many tickets you buy. So, it's a, it's a great opportunity for folks, and it, it is for a great reason. And it's to, to raise money to support programs like becoming an outdoor woman. So nice, and and, and you know, I mean, as far as uh, you know, right now we're we're actually uh, starting a five-year project that we funded with the state of Alaska. And it's uh, it's based on doing a, uh, a it's a black bear research program, and it's uh, it's looking at the Kenai Peninsula and it's looking at the uh, at Prince William Sound and it's an abundance in the harvest study that's being led by uh, by biologist Sean Farley. So, and you know we do lots of projects like that. I mean we, uh, you know we were the, you know the primary contributors and and basically the only hunting organization that actually supported. The introduction of the wood bison and uh between sci and sci alaska we and sci Kenai chapters we contributed over one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to that program
0: yeah and Plus wh- we. Uh, and why don't you go into that a little bit because i don't know you know i mean it, most of us that live up here are pretty at least vaguely familiar with with that but uh that was kind of a big deal basically reintroducing a species of a, a, you know what a lot of people are consider a subspecies of bison that was extinct up here
1: yeah i mean it, it was uh you know it was, a, it was a uh a project basically to reintroduce the resource that uh you know that was originally uh, a, a natural resource in alaska and it you know it, it's uh it's program led by the state of alaska and supported by you know the alaska wildlife conservation center out here and uh just outside of Girdwood, which, you know, without that center, I don't know how things would have worked because the animals got placed and they got rehabilitated there and then, you know, uh, cared for there until they got transferred into the field. But, you know, it was if you could think about what it takes to, you know, to, to move a bison, you know, when you move that many of them from Canada to just outside of Anchorage to being placed in the field, you know, it's a yeah. huge effort. It involves a lot of equipment and a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I. A lot, of, a lot of funding. A lot of money.
0: Know?
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, one of, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is um, or, or maybe just don't know it's not real, real publicized unless you're actually involved in some of the programs is that, you know, the, the Pittman-Robinson Fund. Mm-hmm. Right, is Every dollar that we contribute, you know, is, that's applied to a program is matched uh, by double so that like that, hundred and thirty thousand is is really, you know, an additional, you know, two hundred and sixty thousand goes on top of that.
0: Yeah, that's you know, awesome. Is, so
1: I mean, it ends up being, you know, three three hundred sixty thousand, you know, three hundred ninety thousand dollar effort uh, towards that program. Oh yeah.
0: So it's you know, you
1: know, it was it was a huge and expensive effort, and you know, just like the, you know, like the. Perfect example. I mean, we're, we're raffling off this uh, Delta Bison governor's tag, right? hmm I mean, a program, you know, very similar to that happened in the 1950s to, to, to introduce the Plains Bison to Alaska, and, and, you know, look what a, a beneficial resource we have today. You know, it's, you oh, know yeah. outside, you know, the Chugach and the Toke management sheep tags is probably the most one of the most coveted tags out there.
0: Or I'd, I mean, I'd say, I don't know, I guess I would have to look at the numbers. I would say just off the top of my head, it's probably the most coveted tag, but just by the numbers of how many people apply, you know, I mean, every sheep hunter is going to want that toke toke tag or, or one of those, like one of those good chugach tags. But, uh, but I mean, pretty much every, every hunter you talk to in Alaska, You know, maybe not every year, but they have probably they have put in for bison. Or everybody would like to get one at least once in their life.
1: Well, and you know the 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 thing with the bison is is that every person who enjoys wild game meat puts in for that bison. Some of them are just you know what I would call you know barely hunters. I mean they they hunt uh, when they get an opportunity to 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 get additional protein for the yep. family, you know, yep. and, and some of them just can't afford anything else. And, uh, you know, 19,000 people put in for the bull tag. And I think 16,000 people, I looked the numbers up a couple of days ago, but you know, don't quote me accurately on the numbers, but you know, it was over 16,000 that put in for the cow ride or the sex tag, you know, so you know, definitely the highest numbers.
0: Yeah. And that uh, kind of cracks me up with the draw people, you know, <clears throat> You know, I've put in for 10, 15, 20, even 30 years, you know, and and like upset that they didn't draw like, you know, like it's owed to them, which I get a little, I'm a little bummed that I didn't draw, but you're talking such astronomical odds that really, you know, I mean, you could put in, you know, you would have to put in for like 200 years before you would, you know, you would be due to draw it yeah. by just by the odds. I mean, so it's. I mean, yeah, I you have my you sympathy because I understand, but it, it's just, that just always cracks me up.
1: Yeah, I, I'm the same boat. I, I do kind of wish that you know the state would look pretty hard at you know you know if you draw a tag, you know have having uh, you know more time between when you when you last drew and when you can put in for that you know
0: yeah
1: highly coveted tag you know that there, there are some circumstances out there where people just seem to be a little too lucky with drawing that tag and and I think that's kind of what stirs up everything you hear from you know people that actually start feeling like they're owed something yeah I, mean, I can't complain I, I've been pretty lucky over the years and, I, and I've drawn my fair share in in you know if, if I didn't draw another tag, I, you know, I, I couldn't utter a word because, you know, I've been fairly lucky. So.
0: Well, I can just, you're one of them guys I can be mad at then, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not quite as mad as, as, as at some others, but yeah, you yeah. probably, if you looked at my tag history, you, you might not be too happy with yeah.
0: me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, and ultimately, I mean, kind of getting down a rabbit trail, but that's, that's kind of just. This is how it goes when you have a random draw, and I—I I mean, I've been. It's been explained to me how that all works, and I just there. I don't. Know, every year, I the conspiracy theory side of me like here's a couple arguments or you know someone always pulls up some state guy you know they're like last couple years of dry like there's people that keep track of of, of fishing oh, yeah. fishing game folks and what they're drawing over the years and you know like every i don't know it's you know maybe this, to some people and there are yeah. some conspiracy theorists on it but i it's i just didn't it's such a huge under. It'd be such a huge undertaking to rig the draw for a few. You know, I don't know. It's just kind of ridiculous. But yeah. it's it's fun to it's fun to to lament about and complain about the day after the draw, the cool. day the draws come out, and you don't get shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know that. Just the timing when the tags come out now, you know. it's... <laughs> people are kind of bored anyway you know not oh yeah as active as they are during the summer so you got to talk about something right
0: yeah i get some some major cabin fever going about that time the case of the februarys that's why they come out in february yeah. but uh i
1: i tell you what i will i will say though you know having the tags you know putting in for the draw earlier and having the tags come out earlier has is, is just been a great thing as far as i'm concerned i <laughs> I really like that change
0: a lot. Oh, for us, I think for us up here, it's huge, you know, because you just, even, you know, I guess for draw, you know, getting air services scheduled and stuff like that, it's, I mean, you got to have time. And even February's cutting it pretty late, except, you know, a lot of stuff like, you know, they don't book up, you know, like for the toke, air, the toke sheep tags, you know, those air services don't book that up till after the tags come out because no one knows but i mean you know you're more general booking general trips and you know probably even talk about this for your float hunts i'm sure you guys probably end up booking as soon as they let you for the next i mean we would we when we're flying up to the brooks we'd book in october as soon as they let us for the following year because come you know come come you know the day after the draws come out and people find out they didn't draw the tag they thought they were going to draw you know all all the charter services for the general harvest areas are pretty much booked usually
1: yeah i mean i mean for us with the uh both with our goat hunt and and with our moose hunt it's it's, it's more we kind of got a standing set of dates Yep. And uh, we call if we're not coming. You know, we don't call if yeah. we're coming. They just know we're coming. So,
0: yeah. I mean, I know, I know 40 Mile Air down in Toke, they're, they basically have a wait list to get a booking. Yep. Um, And, you know, if you, you get, you are able to finally, you know, someone cancels whatever drops out and you get caught up enough to book, you have to keep that booking every year. Or you're back on the wait list, you know. You're back at the back of the line again because there are, you know, people waiting to get to get that slot.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, it, like where we go to hunt at, there's a little bit more flexibility. But you know, where we moose hunt at, you know, it, it, it's the same thing. You know, they're books pretty tight. But you know, for us, we're usually going late enough in the season. Yeah, where that that the mad rush is gone and the, uh, they're, they're actually gearing more towards picking folks up. So, you know, it works out a little easier for us And because, you know, you can always get dropped off on the way to picking somebody up. Yep. But if they've got a bunch of people to haul out, then you're just waiting in line. So
0: Well, most services you know, are – most. Ser- good. Oh, sorry. I was going to say most air services kind of like doing that if they can because it's, you know, it – you're not going to get a discount, really, but it saves them money if they can, you know, because they're charging you for the whole round trip and they're charging the other people for the whole round trip. But if they can drop you off on the on the way in and pick them up on the way back, that back hauling, you know, they they are generally pretty pretty flexible and, and like doing that if they can.
1: Yeah, I, you know, for for me, I'm hap- I'm ha- I'm happy for them because you know these guys got you know, a lot of folks don't realize is these guys got a very short window to make their money in. Yep. And they're operating in some of the most expensive operating conditions, you know, in, in the United States for sure, you know.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And uh, and, and and for me, if, if if whatever we can do to help make it easy on them, it, it's just going to benefit us in the long run because, you know, they're just like any other business. You know, they're there as long as they can make money, but if they're not making money anymore...
0: You know, yeah not it's not either, so. yeah it's not it's not a it's not a bread line um they're definitely yeah. that's you know and that's that's when it works for everybody when when they're making money too so yeah, yeah it's and just i think there's a lot of aspects of that that charter service or air you know bush flight service business and both business and just the logistics of doing it that people that are, haven't been around it just don't understand i mean you know, you've been in Kodiak enough times. You've probably seen someone getting getting a little riled up that they're not flying or whatever, because you just have to be you have to be flexible for that.
1: Uh, well, it's, it's it's funny on Kodiak because you know we we like you know a, a true trophy mountain goat, right? I mean, very few people can tell nine and a half from ten and a half from eleven. Yeah, on a mountain goat hanging on the wall, but you can surely tell the difference between an August goat. And a mid to late October goat, early November goat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for us, you know, we like to hunt late in the season for, for that reason. I mean, you just, you know, it's, it's it's a heck of a lot prettier animal. Oh, yeah. For one thing. And uh, so, you know, our Kodiak, if you're hunting late October, then you're hunting in some of the nastier weather periods, you know. So we actually sometimes have to remind them when we call in, mm-hmm. you know, hey, it's us on. Then we got plenty of food we you know because they're getting so much pressure from different guys who don't fly out that much and they, they think they're calling Delta to schedule a new flight you know yeah. they don't realize <laughs> all the logistics that take place, and you know the 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 people on the logistics side of things can can get pretty you know pretty pretty frazzled for lack of better ways to put it after you know, dealing with bad weather for a week or so. So yep. it's kind of funny, you know, a lot of times when we call them, we just remind them, hey, it's us, we're good, you know, don't need to worry. Yeah. You get the chance. You know?
0: Yeah, no so. kidding. it's, you know, or, or wherever your destination, you know, uh, just all the hops you've got to take. You just got to, I don't know, when you're planning something like that, you've got to be, just get it in your mind that you're going to have to be flexible and leave enough time you know, so many times, like there was, when I was working out on a Fognac, there was a guy, boy, he was so mad they weren't flying. And it was horrible weather. You know, oh, because yeah. they, they just don't feel like flying today. I said, no, it's because they don't feel like piling it up on the end of the Cape out there. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, but yeah, uh, exactly. anyway, and, uh, yeah, that's that's a whole, I think that that charter service stuff's a whole a whole big topic, but I did. I do want to get into uh, into the before we the, get off.
1: the, thing, oh, the yeah, real quick. I just I just want to put one thought out there. Tell you. you know what we do is is we save our mileage, right? Uh huh. And we typically only buy a one way ticket. Yeah. To go on our trips. And then we use mileage to come home on. I mean, that's something I want to share with folks because, you know, you save yourself a lot of headaches and, and a lot of worries, to, you know, about catching flights and stuff. If you just kind of dial it back a little bit and save your mileage, and then when you're ready to come home, then you buy a ticket.
0: Yeah, because that's a good point because a lot of times, and I've done that before, a lot of times you can, you, on short notice, you can get mileage tickets, like, really reasonable. You know, yeah. if it, a lot of times if it's like within 24 hours of the flight and, you know, I don't recommend, it's not the way you do things maybe down in the States, but these smaller, no. smaller airports like Kodiak or, you know, even Anchorage is not that big of an airport. And, you know, a lot of times you can, there will be room on the flights, so you can usually... You know, you may have to wait, wait around for a day or two, but you know, what, in the, in the big scheme of things, what, what big deal is that, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But, uh, anyway, I was wanting, I was wanting to get into the, the moose float hunting. That's something, I mean, I've shot quite a few moose, but I've never, I've never actually gone on a, on a raft float hunt. And that, like we were saying before, you guys, you and Ruth have really got that kind of dialed in, um. When did you guys when did you guys start doing that? And how long did it take well, you before you you fight you know kind of started figuring out you knew what you were doing?
1: Well, you know, it was probably uh, it was two thousand and six the first time I did a real float trip, and uh, you know I was lucky I was working on the North Slope, and I just went into a new team, and uh, the manager I had you know had this group of guys that that did, did this float trip, and he you know he talked about it. And, I was really intrigued by it and I wanted to go. Well, I was lucky enough that they had somebody that had to pull out and he invited me to go along Mm -hmm. and kind of that was, that was the first step down a, down a path, uh, you know, that (laughs) that led to a passion for lack of better ways to put it. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I, when I hunted with them, you know, I learned a lot, you know, you know, they had it all dialed in and, um, and, you know, I, I learned everything I could on that trip and, by the time I got to the end of that trip, I, I knew one thing: I wanted to do that again. Yeah, and I wanted to hunt. That, I wanted to hunt that river again. And uh, so, you know, the next year, they, and these guys they only go every three or four years, right? So, mm-hmm. so the next year, I, you know, I asked their permission if they minded if I went and floated that river. And at first, they were kind of shocked by me asking their permission. and it's just the way i am in it's and i think it's the way we should all be right and Yeah, you know it's public land it's state land and all that kind of good stuff but these guys and you know the trouble you can go through to find a good hunting spot right
0: oh oh yeah and that's something that's something worth diving into for a little for a little bit here but go ahead finish yeah
1: yeah but uh so anyway you know here it is now it, it you know I don't know how many, 13 years later, 14 years later. And I still, to this day, will ask their permission if I, to, to go on that river uh, before I plan a trip on it. And I've been on that river more than they have. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? Yeah,
0: well, and it's, but, no, go, sorry.
1: <laughs> so, so, from from then on, you know, I started floating that river fairly regularly, uh, almost every year. And, uh, each year, it seems like you are learning a little bit more. And, um, to the point now where you know ruth and i you know last year we took it up another notch and and i'd say we got it about as dialed in as it can be dialed in but but i know when we get off the river this year we'll learn something else
0: oh yeah i mean uh, you always you're always getting hit with a slightly different set of circumstances or weather or or whatever um you know any any kind of hunting i think is that way you're just you're gonna if you're paying attention you're gonna learn something new every time
1: and you know, and, and you know, float hunting more so uh, than most other hunting. And all hunting is the same, right? In Alaska, if you're doing it remote, it's more about being a good logistics coordinator than it is about anything else. Because you've got so much gear, and then you got so much weight capacity. And you know, the plane's happy to fly out there. You know, at at three thousand dollars a trip. You know. Yep. to drop all the gear off you want, but at the end of the day, every time that plane flies, you know you spend money. So, you know it it, it takes a, a while to get all your gear dialed into where you you can load that plane with one load, and and head out for you know fifteen or twenty one days and and, uh, and and live well
0: is, Yep, and is come back with is. and come back get your meat back you know in a most in the, the most yeah. economical fashion fashion uh, which that's kind of a. <laughs> you know kind of counterintuitive or kind of a uh what would you what would you call that a uh oxymoron (laughs) the most economical way but uh yeah i mean and but jumping back to uh i was glad you brought that up about you know you're asking your buddies you know about permission basically to go you know hunt these spots and i think a lot of people whether it's you know people that are just Cause it's not a unique thing to up here, but, um, a lot of people just don't, that that's just a foreign concept to them cause it is public land, but, and that's why, that's why you get a lot of people that are very experienced, will not tell people where, you know, spots they can go hunting that are any good. You know, you work so, yeah. you work so flippin' hard a lot of times and sometimes it can take years to find or develop spots whether it's for moose or sheep or goats or or whatever and uh you know there's yeah it's public land but there's also some ownership in like the knowledge of that of that spot and um i think you know up here in general it's there's some world class hunting for sure just some there's some amazing hunting but like you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast it's being in the right place and being there at the right time um because there's a lot of country that's you know i'd call it just dead country you know there's just you know for moose hunting there's not moose behind every tree or in every slough you know what i mean
1: yeah i mean i you know i, I gotta use it a- but you know, you think a nuclear bomb hit that valley. It looks just like the last valley, but for some reason, it, you think a bomb went off in there and killed everything in that valley because the the country looks the same, the, the food looks the same, the cover looks the same, but there's, for for whatever reason, the animals just aren't there.
0: Yep, yep, and, and, and it
1: you know you you see that a lot.
0: Oh yeah, and uh, it reminded me. You know, saying that reminded me of my. One of my sheep hunting buddies, Steve Hollenbeck, who's been on here, and you know he can come off to some people a little, a little bl- blunt, and sometimes blunt's what you got to be, you know. But if you know he takes someone to a new, to a spot, a sheep hunting spot, quote unquote, of his, you know, he and he has over the years, you know, he'll he'll help guys get into sheep hunting and take them with him. But he'll flat out tell them, he said, "I don't want you coming back here without." I don't want you bringing anyone else back here, you know, and I don't, if I show you this spot, I don't want you coming back here without talking to me first, which comes off as a little rude to some people if you just don't understand. But once you put the time and effort into develop your own, your own hunting spots and and whatnot, or especially if you, you tell a couple people about a spot and then see what happens after that, um, typically, you know that'll. You, then you really start understanding, understanding some of the reasoning and the and just the courtesy, and people appreciate that. So many people are are willing to help you out so much more if you're just courteous and basic. You know, basic manners. You know, someone shows you a spot and you want to go back there. Yeah, like at least talk to them about it and ask them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, by mine, it's just the right thing to do, you know. Oh and yeah, the common courtesy that you know we we should all adhere to. I mean, for lack of better ways to put it, you know, I, you know, I, you open more doors than you close by being that way. Yeah. You know? And if people know that they can trust you to hunt with them or or or, or go with them and, and, and not, you know, take advantage of the opportunity, then. You know, more people are gonna invite you, particularly if you develop that reputation, then the you know, opportunities will come with
0: it. Yep. Yep, and uh which and it's funny, you know, among pretty serious hunters I also notice you know like well in my case with sheep hunting, you know you can tell pretty quickly who's a pretty experienced sheep hunter or serious about it and who's not by if they ask you uh-huh. where you hunt <laughs> yeah because yeah. i you, yeah, you know right on you know yeah like where uh you know as far as moose hunting goes you can it's probably the same way you can tell someone's probably not that experienced or, or seasoned of a moose hunter or, or just from hunting up here if they're they're asked oh well, where what river are you floating
1: <laughs> yeah exactly but it, you know it's amazing how many people do though and you know i don't know i just, sometimes i just think people don't know any better but yeah but, you know when they ask you that you you know right away that you know that's the first red flag to them ever getting invited to go you know
0: yep yep that's that's the truth one time it reminds me of one time in the parking lot as well in a parking lot here we just got back from sheep hunting had a, had a pile of you know a pile of gear in the back of the truck and some sheep horns sitting on sitting on it and uh oh got a couple guys come up. oh where'd you where'd you get those you know you know we give the general answer in the mountains or whatever and say so, oh well I, I don't care you know well, where'd you get them i don't really care so well if you don't care why does it matter and a you know the a and then b if you don't care and i tell you then it, it's of no value the information is of no like consequence to you so you're not going to have a problem telling anybody else
1: <laughs> yeah exactly you know i and i i don't know i mean it's uh you know, it just—it just seems like, you know, it's hard to figure people sometimes. You know, and it, I, I mean, speaking for myself personally, you know, I'm—I'm a lot like your buddy. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'll, you know, I won't take anybody in unless I have a really good conversation with them about, you know, what's going to happen after the hunt. Yep. And you, and you know yourself, I mean, you can't get fooled. Mm-hmm. And if you do this long enough, you will be fooled. And, and I think we all have been where, you know, you you, you think you've uh, you've picked a solid person and, you know, they're going to pull the weight on the hunt. They, you know, they're, they're basically going to do what you both agreed to do once you get in the field. And then, you know, they're going to honor, you know, that commitment they made to not reveal your location and or you know, show up in your location the next year when you show up there to hunt with somebody else. And, yep. you know, if you do this long enough, you're going to find that you <laughs> you got it wrong and, and, and it'll happen to you. A guy gets in the field, and I know you've probably seen that before, you know. Oh, yeah. It all sounded good on paper, but then when you're in the field, you know, everything changes.
0: Yep, and that's kind of, I guess, the, the just the lesson from that. It sounds kind of mean, and a lot of us come off as, as like, crusty and and just flat out, flat out ornery about the stuff, but it, it comes back to picking a hunting partner. You know, you gotta, if you want to consistently have a good time and enjoyable trips, you have to be pretty careful about who, who you go hunting with, who you share information with. Um, I, even just in my, well, 15, uh, 17 years, whatever, however many years, I've seen, I've seen it happen. Same with fishing spots. You know, I mean, you, you see it happen all the time. Someone runs their mouth and word gets around, you know, you, you don't think it's that big a deal, but word does get around, especially when you're being like sharing specific information, but all boils down to just, you, you, you have to be very, very selective in who you're, you're taking hunting with you and sharing information you know, and, and if you're wanting to be somebody, you know, you also have to be that reliable hunting partner that's going to hold up your end of the bargain.
1: Yeah. You know, but, I, and what I, you know, anytime I get invited someplace, you know, it's just, you know, a couple, you know, there's a couple key things, you know, that I think, you know, if a person wants to open the door to opportunities is when you do get invited, you know, there's always something that needs to be done, you know. Yep whether it's helping pack meat, whether it's helping, you know, gathering firewood or, or hauling water or, you know, you do more than your fair share of the work, and 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 opportunities will present themselves and doors will be open. You know what I mean? And, oh, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I laughed. The first time I hunted with these guys in uh, 2006 on that river, you know, we, we were calling moose, and we were literally calling them into camp. And there was this one moose that almost got away. I'll never forget it because everybody kept giving the other person the opportunity to take the shot, yeah, you <laughs> know you know here's a you know fifty five inch decent bull moose standing in front of us on the gravel bar, maybe twenty thirty yards away, and we can't make up our mind who's going to shoot the bull because everybody is courteous enough to want to give the other person the opportunity, yeah. And I, you know that stuck with me. I mean, to me, that was you know it probably seemed pretty small to most people, but to me, that was pretty incredible. Oh yeah, and, uh, you know it it really uh, it, it kind of really set the tone for the type of people that I was hunting with.
0: Oh yeah, that's I, that's a big deal.
1: You it, know, yeah, it, uh, it was a, it was an amazing trip, and uh, it was amazing for a lot of reasons. But probably for the, for the most reason is is because of the people that I was with
0: yeah that's awesome um, you
1: know and and just to kind of sum up our conversation I mean you know picking the right partner can be the difference between having a great trip and having an awful trip and it doesn't really matter how many animals you take home
0: yep yep that's the truth yeah you could have a you have a bum hunting partner you could have great you know being a great hunting spot everybody kills something and still have a horrible trip <laughs> <laughs> exactly correctly but i was gonna and i also was gonna get want to get into you ask you about some of the i don't know some of the float hunting gear or whatever i think people envision envision float hunting as being a pretty easy easy going breeze you know rafting down the river <laughs> type of thing um yeah i had heard one description of it where if you want to get ready for float hunting what was it fill your bathtub with ice water put on all your clothes and your waders fill your waders with water and sand and sit down in there and just lift sandbags up over your head repeatedly for a couple hours and that's like your that's just getting you ready
1: <laughs> yeah i got. yeah i guess if you don't know how to float on it that's probably a, <laughs> a good synopsis but you know, float hunting is a lot like bear hunting, right? A lot of people think it's easy. I mean, uh, yeah. bear baiting. A lot of people think it's easy, but that's because they just showed up and sat in the tree stand.
0: Right? Yep, yep.
1: But, but like uh, the place we hunt, you know, we don't fly in and land on the river. We land on the lake,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we've got to pack all of our gear, including the raft. You know a mile it's three quarters of a mile as the crow flies but it's over a mile but you end up walking time you work your way around different muskegs and stuff yep but everything that's in that plane goes to that river so you start off packing you know 500 pounds 400 pounds a gear to the river that's the beginning of the hunt you know
0: yeah how much and, do those how much is that those big rafts weigh
1: well, you know, it depends on the raft you have, but, but the uh, the raft I've got, I've got what's called a uh, a, a soar levitator, and it's uh, sold by Larry Bartlett with Pristine Adventures, which is you know right there mm-hmm. in Fairbanks, with you. and uh, it's probably one of the lighter uh, big rafts, or it it weighs right at a hundred pounds. Yeah, and and it's uh you know it's it's got twenty three inch tubes. It's got an eight-inch air floor, and it's a big flat boat. It's, it's literally like a barge, you know. Yeah. It's not a you know a class five whitewater raft, but man, if you want to haul a load, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's the one for you. And uh, and that's the raft we've used. And then, you know, he's got this set up with uh, it's called oar saddles. You know, it's, it's literally just a, a metal bridle that sits over the float and straps in with raft straps that hold your oars. And then, you know, a, a board with a piece of foam on it for a seat. And, yeah. You know that, and you know, that's probably weighs thirty pounds. So, you know, you probably got time. You add pumps and and everything, to, and and all the gear to support the raft, to tie stuff in, and everything. You, you're pushing probably, you know, one fifty. Yeah. Know? And uh, you know, when I first started out, I was packing a hundred and thirty pound raft to the river, and, and you know that was quite the load.
0: Oh yeah. That,
1: you know, stuff. Well, and you're a
0: big, you but, know, and uh, you're a big guy too, you know, and, and I don't know. Don't matter who you are, you get over 100 pounds it starts getting difficult.
1: <laughs> yeah, well you know I I kind of changed it up a little bit cuz I I've, I've got a uh, a a bad knee and, and mm-hmm. you know it it really don't it don't stop me any. you know I I can you know hike forever and, and pack a pretty good amount but uh it, you know it's bad enough to where the only thing they can do is replace it. So you know, you got a hundred pounds on, you know, yourself, if you're getting that muskeg, that load goes one way, you go the other way, the yep. weakest point you got going, yep. that's that knee. So, so I started actually, you know, using a sled and, and dragging a lot oh. of the heavier stuff across that stuff. So that, you know, and it's not any easier. In fact, I think it's harder, but it's just safer. Yeah. From, a little uh, safer on you. Deepers. Yeah. But, uh, and, and it, the thing with the sled is, is man, it really works works well when you gotta move stuff on hindquarters and stuff like that around on gravel bars.
0: Oh, you I know bet. it
1: slides on a gravel bar about as good as it slides on a, uh, on snow. And oh, you yeah, a quarter, front shoulder, and that thing, and take off. You know, uh, but but you know it, it you know. F- well, first off, you got that right, mm-hmm. and then you got to set up, and you got to set up a, a camp. Which you know, our camp's you know, pretty doggone comfortable. So we're setting up a base camp every time we set up camp. Yep. Well, and what a lot of people don't realize is, yeah, when you're floating in the raft, you know, you are sitting there, you know, and 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 somewhat freezing, you know, yeah, if it's cold. But you know, it, it, the 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 floating part, unless you crazy enough to float 100 miles and float every day, which is is not what I would call the, the best floating scenario for being successful. Yeah. Um, you know, usually, like with us, we 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 literally pack our stuff to the river and we'll hunt there three or four days, and then we'll float into a second camp, and we'll set up and we'll hunt, you know, three or four or five days, you know, however the mood strikes us. And then depending on... on where we are as far as success and and, and what we're looking for we will float down to a third camp and set up camp so you know we might have three times when we literally load completely load and unload that boat yeah you know, if you got beat in gear you know that, that's a lot more work than people think it is
0: oh yeah well and that's one of the things i was going to ask you about is if you guys were you know were on the move Breaking camp, because people, I think that if you're floating every day, man, you, I mean, you just got to burn it at both ends. You got to get up so early to pack up all your camp and get it in the raft to be on the river right at the crack of, you know, that, that first hour of daylight, you know, where the moose hunting's, off, where they're often moving the hardest. Um, yeah. We, and then, you know, find you know, an, it just you you would waste so much time i would think setting up your camp over and over and you're you're not staying in the same spot for calling which is a whole another subject
1: yeah well i mean that, that that's probably the big subject right there but you know the, the thing a lot of people don't realize is on most rivers when you're floating a river mhm all you can see is that river you know yep up to the bend in front of you, and 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 down to the bend behind you, you know, you, and it's it's probably the most horrible place to be as far as you know being able to glass and spot and and, and find animals. Yep. So I, I I actually don't like being on the river. I, I you know I usually if I'm on the river I'm trying to get from point A to point B as, as fast as I can. I'll stop and call if I know there's a lake there or if there's a spot I need to. Uh, you know, I need to investigate. But for the most part, you know, well, for one thing, daylight's so short. By that time frame, you only got so much daylight to get from point A to point B anyway. Yep. So, you know, usually, and, and we don't float that far. I mean, overall, our total float in, you know, 15 to 21 days is probably about 30 to 35 river miles at the most.
0: Yeah, that's and that's not a heck of a lot.
1: No, so, you know, we're, we're literally just going from one base camp to the next. And, you know, typically, uh, you know, with the, with the modern tools they have these days, it's a lot easier to find the spots that you want to stop, you know, because, you know, like when I found a river we're hunting now, I, I did a lot of research on Google Earth mm-hmm. and what I found it, you know, you know, everybody has their, their own little tricks, but you know, what I've found is, is that, you know, you do a lot better hunting the lakes that are just off the river than you do hunting on the river in a lot of cases. And, you know, you, you can, uh, you can look at a lot of lakes before you find just the right lake. Yeah. But, you know, if you find just that right lake, you know, that, that's got the right bedding areas, that's got the big willow brush around it, you know, you're going to know when you find the right lake because there's going to be so much sign there that you can't help but know. You know, don't you? you don't have to know anything. You know, there's going to be 20 or 30 beds around that lake. there's going to be trees tore up where the moose have been rubbing yeah there's just going to be a a ton of sign there so you know when you find the right spot
0: yeah well that's a good uh, and that's a good point too i guess i hadn't thought about it like that but you know i think a lot of people floating you you know they'll expect to just see see moose on the river and yeah they hang out by the rivers and you'll see and catch them crossing but you know it's not like their, you know, a lot of their feed, especially summer feed, is in those lakes, and it's just yeah. not, you know, I don't think they just hang, they don't hang out in the river, you know, like they do some of those lakes and the areas right around them.
1: Well, and and on the river, a lot of times, is where the good willow patches are, but at yeah. the end of the day, if that moose is laying in a willow patch 20, 20 yards, 20 feet off the river, in some cases, you're not going to see him.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, you're just, you know, when you're on the water, you're in the lowest spot you could
1: possibly be. Yeah, I mean, unless unless you can get him to stand up, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna float right by him, you know. Yeah. And I've had, you know, we we've, we've shot a couple of moose while floating, but very few of them over the years. I mean, most of them, I've I've called them in, you know, which yeah. is, is what we really love to do. And and uh, you know, to me, this just, does. Very few things in the world are cooler than seeing a moose a mile away walking in the opposite direction and then to lay into that cow call and watch him stop, you know. I mean, they, yep. they'll they stop and you make that second call and they'll turn and look at you. And when they look at you, you, you feel like they laser beamed you, you know, yep. like they're looking at you right between the eyes, you know. And then you call again and they inadvertently they turn that head and they push that one foot forward to make that step. And right then, you know you got him. Yeah, you You just know he's coming. And uh, you know, if if you have the luxury to be to sit high enough to watch him come to you, it's one of the coolest things in the world, if you ask me.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's something else. And it's it's amazing how well they can hear. You know, you think because a lot of most most guys are either raking or just calling with your voice and you think there's no way, I mean, they can hear you from, especially on those cold, clear mornings, they can hear you from miles away. Those, you know, they just lay their ears back in them antlers, and it's like they got, you know, especially a, you know, 60-inch bulls got a 60-inch set of ears.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean... You know, what I found over the years is that the the moose you call in the morning, maybe the moose you called in that night, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, And there's this one spot where we hunt is a place we call it Wolf Point. It's just a a ridge that sticks up right above the river about 200 feet. Uh And and from there you can see everything, you know. And I I called the first moose that that Ruth ever killed. I, I called these two bulls, and it was right at dark. And then they and they hung up, you know where our camp was, it was an oxbow that kind of went around our camp, and we were in in uh, in the trees and on a gravel bar, yep. you know, just off the river, inside that oxbow, and then moose came right to the did that oxbow and they hung up, and they laid down right and mm-hmm. and just shut up and then we never called him in the next morning we woke up and started calling and those same exact moose stood up and came in like, like a freight train. I mean, just tearing it up. And she shot her first moose. And the cool part was she was all by herself. And, uh, we were on top of the point of calling and we got to watch the whole show. It's like watching a movie, you know, her killing her first moose. And it's probably one of the most unique experiences I've had honey.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. And, though know, hearing them grunting to me, it's kind of funny. Like, they they actually grunt pretty quietly. It, it's not a super loud yeah. call, but whenever I hear one, it's almost like I I'm in disbelief. For you know, it's usually when you first hear it, it's so faint that I've got to sit there and listen for a minute to like convince myself or hear them start raking to, before I'm convinced that it's I'm actually hearing it. Cause my ears will, my ears will kind of play tricks on me sometimes, but yeah, when they come in, you know, and start getting close, there's just no mistake in it. it it's, it's cool. Uh, it, oh, it reminds me of one that I had, I was messing with it when I was helping, helping guide um, I'd got left in camp season was over and, uh, the day before, and I got left to clean up camp and that night had called four bulls into camp and I kind of shut up as it was getting dark cause I didn't really want them get, I knew one bull was, was closing the distance. So I just shut up and had just zipped up my sleeping bag and, uh, and yeah. 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 right, like 30 feet behind the tent here. I could hear him walking through the grass and and starts tearing up a bush right behind the tent. I'm, I was like, Oh man, this thing's going to rip the tent to shreds. I had to jump out there with my flashlight yeah. and pistol and kind of try to run him off. And he kept me up all night, ended up another one kind came in and they woke me up at like four o'clock in the morning fighting right. You know, couldn't have been 60, 70 yards behind the tent but <laughs> that's it's just something yeah, totally yeah. different if you never experienced it.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool actually. You know, usually when I hear him, it's about 20 minutes after Ruth's been listening to him. Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 like, she's the ears in the camp and, you know, this this year we had a, had a pretty cool scenario because, uh, you know, the way her and I hunt is, you know, we usually take turns. You know, one of us will shoot the meatball for the year and the other one will poke you know, it'll be their turn to try to find, you know, just a real smoking bull.
0: Yeah. Know?
1: And uh, I called these two bulls in together. It's, you know, a little small paddle horn, you know, about 30 inch bull. And this, this other bull came in, real really nice bull. Five brow tines on one side, four on the other side, good palmation. About 50, well, he was a 58 inch bull, you know, but he looked like a younger bull, you know. And, and, and uh, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know that that bull. If I just give him a few more years, just uh, everything he needs to just be a real smoking bull. You know, mm-hmm. so I let him go. And uh, you know we had we had him in the camp for about an hour, hour and a half. You know, in in and out of camp. And uh, you know I let I let him walk that night. And uh, you know Ruth looked at me. And she says, "You know, it was your turn to shoot the meatball, don't you?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "That was a really good meatball." I was like, "Well, yeah, I know, but it's just too nice a bull to shoot." He says. It's your turn to shoot the meatball. And
0: that was
1: a <laughs> good meatball. You know? <laughs> Basically, I, I'm like, man, I hope I just didn't mess up, you know. Yeah. And it was five days later before I called another bull in.
0: Oh man. <laughs>
1: yeah, and about that time, you know, I'm feeling this strain, you know. Yeah. And I woke up early in the morning, and I and I and I started calling, and one just lit up like he was like, you know, like somebody set him on fire, you know. And came in, and it was the exact same bull I'd called in five days earlier. You know, oh, that's funny. And, uh, he he came in. He was lit up. You know, I mean, just freaking hammering it. And I shot him at. I shot him at eight yards. I probably could have shot him at two if I don't wanted to. He yeah, just came in <laughs> on a string. You know, well, that's one. And, that's and one of
0: those things when they they when they're coming, man. You like you gotta be aware of your surroundings and be aware that they might come like walk right over the top of you
1: you ever use one of those little uh you ever seen that montana cow decoy
0: i've seen them i've never used one though i imagine they'd work like crazy
1: Uh, yeah they they work really good and you know you don't really need them i mean if they're coming they're coming right but yeah it's, it's it's fun to add a different dimension to your hunt you know oh, yeah. kicks and giggles if nothing else sometimes and they make cool pictures too but um i called a i called a little bull in the camp one time and you know i had him at seven yards and i had a person in front of me holding the uh you know holding the moose and and uh up in front of us kind of using it like a, yep. like a decoy to hide behind and then, and then uh and then ruth was taking pictures and i was calling it <laughs> i got him to seven yards and about that time uh my team abandoned me.
0: You know, <laughs> <close enough. laughs> yeah, start seeing but I their...
1: thought we could have reached out and touched him and they were like, No way, buddy. Oh we're man. Done. We're out of here.
0: Start seeing their eyes roll but back was, in their heads and
1: <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And I tell you what, when we when we dropped that uh when we dropped that, that decoy, you should have seen the look on that little bull. He's like, Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he went, <laughs> You talk about disappointment, you know. His his date had stood him up, and he just did not like it at all. Oh man,
0: know? yeah. Last year, I don't you know, I don't know how it was for you guys out where you're at, but last year, I don't know. It seems like the general consensus it was a kind of a weird moose season, like kind of bum. You know, there were some people that did well, great, do. but uh-huh. yeah. And you're yeah yeah, it I seemed mean, like the whole the whole state. I mean, even after after not, we had a one day. I was convinced we were going to kill, you know, me and the other guy hunting, we're going to kill two bulls, you know, saw about a 65 inch bull in the morning. And then that evening had two other bulls respond, you know, we could still hear that 65 where he was at. We had two other bulls coming in cause we'd been calling, trying to persuade that one. And then they end up veering off towards each other. And after that, after, the, after that night, it just shut down. Nothing was moving. Nothing was responding Um, but, and even back in, you know, in town, my brother-in-law had, we were kind of, I would hunt this spot in the morning and he'd hunt in the evening in the bow area. And he had this little bull that for, I want to say four or five nights in a row, he'd go back to the same spot and give a couple grunts. And this bull would just start ripping stuff to shreds. He'd be in the woods somewhere right around there. And he said one, one time he got him to stick his head out at about 30 yards but would never give him a shot with his bow you know he was an ordinary one he's one that maybe a, one of them cow decoys could have persuaded him to 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 step out but yeah it was last year was just weird
1: yeah i i found we found the same thing i mean it, you know i i combination of having a full moon right in the middle of the rut and then having the warmer temperatures it just it just seemed like it was different and and where we were, I mean, that was, you know, kind of like I've I seen some videos at UHI. It was kind of the same thing. The moose were there. There was plenty of sign there. Yeah. So you knew they were there. They, For whatever reason, they just were not, uh, not responding, you know, and, uh, yeah, this... you know, we had the same, experience. we had one morning where we had two bulls coming in, and I mean, it just sounded like they were on fire, you know, it's just before daylight, and I was calling, we thought for sure they were coming in, and uh, right at daylight they just shut up, you know.
0: Yeah, that's... And... Uh, uh, it's so never frustrating. never
1: had hard like that and then stop.
0: Yeah, it's so frustrating. I mean, when we're, we're, we were at a little bit early, let's see, it was a few days before when we were out, you know, out on that hunt, this lake we were hunting right, in, right next to, I mean, just... Beat down trails. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better looking moose spot with fresh sign and rubs, and you know, uh, I just, I just don't know. Sometimes, you know, at the end of the day, you got to throw up your hands, and I'm, I'm telling the guy I'm with is like, because we, you know, you start naturally thinking, oh, well, maybe we need to move, go try somewhere else, and when you're calling a spot, you know, is a good spot the best thing you can do is stay right there and call from the same spot, at least in my experience.
1: Well, and, and you know, that's what I talked about earlier with having the patience to wait, knowing that they're going to walk, you know, because if they're not walking there, they ain't walking anyplace else. Right? Yep. And a lot of times, I think people move and think they moved into a better spot, and the only difference is that, you know, when they were in the last spot, the moose weren't moving yet, and when they are in the The next spot, you just happen to be there when they were walking. But if you'd have been there a couple days earlier when they weren't, it wouldn't have been any better than the last place you were.
0: Yep. Yep. No kidding.
1: You know, and you never really know. I mean, you you know, it's all a big guessing game at the end of the day, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, the the more time you spend out there, the, the the, the clearer your guesses become, but you know it's it, it's never an exact science. You learn something new every time, right?
0: No, and I think I think you know more seasoned seasoned moose hunters and guys that are good at calling them. You see how it works, and that it does work enough times to give yourself that patience. You know, I'm still. I mean, even I, I was like, I know this works. This does, I've seen it work before. Like, just something's not something's not right if they're not moving. Um, but there, you know, that, that's what you just gotta, I think you, when you've seen it work enough times, you just kind of know and, and can be a little bit more patient. I may be, I may be like somewhere in the middle <laughs> on that. I know it works, but I still get a little antsy second, you know, start well, second guessing because sometimes they don't show up, <laughs> but a lot of times they do.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, this, <laughs> you know, this year was a, was a, a tough for everybody's patience. I think you know I'm the same way I mean I, I've called in lots of moves and uh, you know at the end of the day you get three or four days with no responses you start thinking about well did my voice change am I doing something wrong you know you start yeah. second guessing everything you know and then you know you go four or five days and nothing and all of a sudden you know it's it. you know they're they're coming in like you're the sweetest girlfriend they ever had you know and yeah it, you know who, who knows what goes through them through them knucklehead's head, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, you I mean, can you can work, and you can, I've found, you know, you can, I'm thinking, oh, is my cow call not sounding right, or am I raking too much? And then one day, you know, you're chopping firewood, and a bull walks into camp. That's happened to me, yeah, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen a chainsaw call, them in pretty good even, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've it's, heard that. Like, it's, like, suppose, you know, people think it, from a long ways away, it sounds like a cow moaning or whatever to them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I just think like a lot of it depends on where you hunt. too I mean, I think one of the our biggest success uh to, in calling is the fact that where we hunt, there's just not a lot of cows. You know. Yeah. And uh so if 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 you sound like a lovesick cow, you know, you're going to get lots of boyfriends. Whereas you know, so many other places around the state that have excellent cow populations you know i don't i don't know that you would do a, a, as good as we do with calling uh in a location that you know i wouldn't do as good there i don't think as i do where i call that normally because what i'm calling is is just the perfect scenario you know yeah there's a lot of ba- there's a lot of bachelors out there and there's, there's there's the whole not a whole lot of girlfriends from. them so you know it don't matter how ugly you are you yeah. know, you're still female them <laughs> coming you know <laughs> yeah
0: that's yeah i think that's that's definitely a big factor you know i mean those those like big bulls once they get cowed up it's tough to call them in unless you know everything's right and you can get in close enough and and make them think you're another bull trying to move in on them
1: yeah. but you know yeah, i mean once they've got a bunch of cow i mean you know, a bull that's sitting there with three or four cows and he ain't, he ain't leaving, you know, his group of cows, that, you know, to come to come collect you. Yeah. I, mean, I actually called a bull with the cow, and uh, two years ago I thought that was pretty cool. He just didn't have enough girlfriends yet, so he, he brought his one girlfriend with him to pick up his other one, you know.
0: Yeah, that's it'd be interesting to know, like, how all that works, you know, because all, you know, you'll see bulls by themselves, and all of a sudden, you know, a big bull has three, four, five, six cows with him. Said who's, who's making the rules here? Do, do, you know, do the cows just follow? You know, obviously you see them running the cows, so obviously they're following the cows. But how all that works, I don't know. That's yeah. a little beyond my. I just like well, shooting them and eating them.
1: <laughs> well, you know, the the one thing that I've noticed, and it's it, it's more from flying real late in the season than anything else, because you know we're usually real late coming out. Yeah. And, you know, when we fly over that country, you know, you'll always see a bull, you know, they might have 10 cows with them, you know, but they'll have, you know, they'll have a a harem of cows, big bull right in the middle of them, right? Mm -hmm. And inadvertently, every time you see that, there'll be one or two or three, you know, sometimes more little groups of bulls on the outside of that, you know, of that group of that bull with that cow, just hoping somebody comes along and, takes that bull out so they can take that yeah. you know
0: <laughs> or sneak but in there you'll, yeah
1: you'll, you'll you'll you know late in the season you'll see that every time you know every time there's a bull with a group of cows you know somewhere if it's open enough to see you'll see a couple of bulls hanging around hoping something goes wrong
0: yep yep i think uh, <laughs> yeah those was a little sad and sometimes you know when you you see a uh a big bull with a group of cows, those are the bulls you end up calling in if you're cow calling because they think, oh, oh man, there's a, a cow got loose from him. Better go scoop her up.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I have a buddy that, that you know, he swears you're never going to call a big bull in, you know, doing cow calls, you know. Yeah. And, uh, that's true if there's a big bull with a cow, but if it's a big bull looking for cows, he's still coming in.
0: Oh, know. yeah, for sure.
1: I think people that have followed me long enough know that you know for sure we shot some really good bulls and you know every one of them came to the cow call.
0: Yeah. Know. Do you ra- do you rake much?
1: Not really. I mean, I I I, I don't typically rake very much, and I don't uh, I don't bull grunt very much. And uh, that just to be honest with you, because I don't I don't feel like I've got that calling method as dialed in, and I don't yeah. feel as comfortable doing. Yeah. So, you know, just like anybody else, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and usually stick with what works for you. You know?
0: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm by no means an expert at it. I try to. I don't know. I think before eh, the ninth or tenth of Sep, I try not to cow call before I'm here. Start hearing cows. Um, yeah. Because it's like they, they'll kind of turn on and start and start calling, and I know, you know some guys will say, you know. If you're hunting that, op- you know, that opening week or so of the season in set early September, you know, just like some guys will just rake, you know, some gentle rakes here and there. And that's another thing that can get frustrating too. You start getting impatient and it's easy, I think, to, to overcall a little bit, yeah. you know, maybe some, you get the right bull, it's not going to matter, but I don't know. I guess I tend to sometimes overthink, overthink this whole thing a little bit too much.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, probably by, by everybody's standards, I overcall, right? Yeah. But but you know what? Uh, a bull can't hear you if you're not calling.
0: That's the truth.
1: And you know, particularly in the place where I hunt at, right? And in, in every place is different. Yep. The bulls just don't see a lot of people. I mean, I, I've literally sat with my. You know, we we have one spot where we we pull the raft across the tundra, blown up just because it's just a short distance, and we got to get in the lake to get to the spot where we got to go. Yeah. So I've literally sat, and, and you've seen my raft. It's a big green freaking raft. You yeah. Know, sitting in the middle of the tundra, you know, it looks like a tank parked out there. Ruth and I have. Literally sat on that raft in the wide open tundra and called the bull to that raft.
0: Wow! And, you know that
1: was you know a plus sixty bull. You know. Wow. And and I'm no little guy either. I mean no. standing <laughs> up in you know, those freaking tundra kind of sticks out. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, it's
1: uh, you know. Yeah. Calling right up to us. I mean, you got a. I, I got a video there on YouTube where we call a big bull and he circles all around us and, you know, I got my buddy standing and in front of you talking about how he's not big enough we're just gonna let him go but what you don't see that video is we've got a 65 inch bull laying on the ground that we're skinning when I called him
0: and, you know. <laughs> oh man yeah that's funny but,
1: I mean we're standing there skinning and talking and and we called that bull right up to the freaking carcass Wow
0: yeah that's nuts I uh and one thing I t- I t- you know you, I don't know tried oh was my cow call sounding good? I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's pretty hard to mess up. I've, I've heard some of those cows, every one of them sounds a little different and they, I've heard some yeah. of them that sounds so God awful bad. Like there is no way that's a moose type of thing. And it's, yeah, sure, yeah. sure enough, it's a, it's a cow. So yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just something probably just try to keep, I don't know. I would think keep it simple and, and don't don't overthink it too much what what do you think
1: oh i think the same thing i mean you know at the right time like you said you know you can run a chainsaw or you know cut firewood or anything that you know but just that different noise in the woods than 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 what they normally hear sometimes i think is enough to pull them in you know you get one that's you know that's fired up you know he'll, he'll come to anything that remotely sounds like you know a fight or, or you know, or a cow. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and you can't get it wrong. And, you know, one of the things, you know, for people that are looking to learn to uh, to call and, and, and looking for some, uh, you know, for some good insight, I don't know if you uh, you, you know Wayne Wayne Kubat. He makes those. Uh, he makes those. Oh, uh, the, bull magnets? the bull magnets? The bull magnets. Yeah, because
0: uh, he did the Love Thunder know. and Bull videos, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and the guys that that uh, you know the guys that I started hunting with in 2006 the only bull on it, they never cow called and uh, and they said that you know cow calls don't work here they, and it was just that you know they were comfortable doing bull calls mm-hmm. they, they weren't comfortable doing cow calls and, and I tell you what I can guarantee you one thing uh, cow calls work like nobody's business there. It's just they weren't comfortable doing the cow calls. Yeah. Know, which, same way with me with the bulls, right? Because I can tell you, their bull calls work really good too. But, yeah. Uh, so I didn't really have uh, someone to, to truly teach me how to cow call. So I actually got that DVD and I bought the call, and I used uh, Wayne's DVD qu- quite a bit.
0: Yeah, to and that's called how
1: to, how to get started.
0: And it's called Love yeah. Thunder and Bull. And there's like a volume yeah. two now. I think I think that's the one yeah, I have is volume two.
1: Yeah, I love Love Thunder Bull Two. I think it's called. But and uh, it, it helped me a lot. I mean, it helped me to the point to where you know actually uh, I teach the uh, the big game hunting class and the becoming an outdoor woman's winter workshop. Didn't mm-hmm. this year? That's another story. We got weathered in on uh, Nunavak Island, but uh, Wayne actually. Uh, worked with us and, and and gave us uh you know a, a, a really good discount and you know we gave every student that signed up for that class and uh, and i'll do it again this year one of those bull magnet moose calls and uh one of those dvds to learn by oh that's it's, cool it's simply because i believe it's it's a, it's a good way to go
0: yeah yeah no i like those videos i think they're <clears throat> for someone looking to to learn and and you get to watch some moose hunting anyway it's it's some good information you know you kind of everyone can kind of develop their own their own style or whatever you know whatever you want to call it but it's it's definitely good info Uh,
1: yeah the first time i seen cow call and really work was in uh it was in 2009 and i a buddy of mine that i worked with came into that same river with us and he was he was an excellent cow caller you know Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it was just one of those trips too, when all the conditions were right. And uh, you know, we we sat there, and, and I watched that guy calling bull after bull after bull after bull. I mean, it, it was just amazing, you know, the results he was getting. And and then after after that year, I left that river knowing that it was one thing I was going to know by the time I hit that river the following year, and that was going to be how to cow call. Yeah and i and i tell you what for 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 my hunting experience on that river in 2009 is kind of when everything changed
0: oh that's awesome yeah and uh well anyway i gotta get running here but um man it's been great catching up with you a little bit lewis and yeah
1: uh, i appreciate it taking the time to talk to me i really enjoyed it
0: yeah no likewise definitely we'll have we'll have to do it again there's a lot of you may be you may be old and crusty but there's a lot of info i think <laughs> a lot of stuff you, <laughs> a lot of knowledge there for sure but uh um you mentioned your youtube channel what's what's that where if people want to go check out some of your videos
1: well you can look up uh just my name lewis cusack c-u-s-a-c-k or you can look up uh, my last name first and middle initial. It's uh, C U S A C K L A, and I haven't put nothing on there in a long time. But there's probably 35, 40 videos on there, and you know a lot of a lot of stuff moose calling and just just the whole hodgepodge and stuff. But it's probably got I think I was look, hitting at around four million views the last time I looked at it.
0: Oh no, that's awesome! Yeah, you've got some yeah. you've got some good stuff. Really cool. I mean. Stuff that'll get you fired up if you're if you're into moose hunting or think you might be into moose hunting. <laughs> but, uh...
1: Yeah, it, yeah a, lot, a lot of stuff there, you know, stuff we talked about today. There's actual footage on, on some of that stuff there, you know, pulling bulls in from a long distance particularly, so...
0: Yeah, awesome, man. Well, I certainly appreciate it.
1: You bet, man. Anytime. Uh, yeah, just say when.
0: All right, sounds good. And for the listener, if you... Uh, if uh sorry i totally blanked out there if you have any comments or questions you can email podcast at com, and uh, appreciate if you leave a review on whatever platform you listen on and uh, thanks for listening